Jesus. Clap for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can come in and we can worship and we can praise you, God, because you defeated sin and death. God, that we can live in victory. We can live with our head lifted, God, knowing if you're for us, who can be against us? Lord, I'll pray that you will bless this time together as we open your word, God, that you would speak to us and that you would do only what you can do. It's in the name of Jesus, everybody said. Come on, everybody said. Amen, amen, amen. Well, before you grab your seat, why don't you turn to your neighbor, learn a new name, be friendly, and then grab your seat. Well, quick hello to SCI Chester with our partnership with God Behind Bars. Come on, let's clap for them. We love you. And before I, I, I get into the word, I just want to uh, honor our lead pastor, Pastor Jesse. And I, I got to tell you this, I, I don't do this out of obligation. I do this because it's a privilege. Uh, it's an honor. I believe that there is blessing in honoring in a world that is overcome with criticism and negativity. I believe that the church can be a place of honor and, and, and respect and so I love our lead pastor. I love Pastor Jesse. I think there's, there's come on, you can clap for him. I think there's, there's two predominant attitudes towards the next generation. The first one is one of discouragement. It's one that says, oh, well, when I was younger, oh, what's going on with the world today? Oh, these kids don't know. You know what I'm talking about. This is the predominant attitude in our culture today. And then there's a second attitude that's one of responsibility. It's one that says, hey, I'm going to believe the best days are still to come. I'm going to take it as a personal responsibility to encourage, to equip, to empower, to release. And that is our leadership team. That is our lead pastor. And I love that about our church. And so I love our lead pastor. I love our staff, too. Um, pastor Ian, Pastor Jay, obviously, and Pastor Judah, our executive pastor, and uh, Pastor Kyle. I mean, our, our pastors and our team, they love this church. They love you and uh, Pastor Luis, is, he's one of my best friends. Just don't tell him I said that. Um, no, we, we, we've been working together for a while. Uh, we, he used to sit across from me. And early on, he says, uh, you know, we're friends. I said, whoa, whoa, we're not friends. We're workplace proximity associates. And he reminds me of that often. But I, I love our team and I love our church. And um, with summer camp coming up, and uh, actually tomorrow, this place is going to be filled with about um, 400 kids uh, worshiping Jesus, getting sewn into. And so it's going to be an incredible week with Compass Kids uh, Camp happening tomorrow. And then obviously with our youth summer camp happening uh, every year, I get to see the Holy Spirit move in the lives of the next generation. I get to see uh, teenagers encounter the living God. It is one of those moments, uh, and you may, you may not know this, but you play a part in that in your prayers and in your generosity. And so that's going to happen at the end of August. Um, I, I, I came to this, the first time I came to this church was in uh, 2000, I think 2007. Me and my mom uh, showed up at the VFW. And uh, I, I thought, well, what's going on here? Like, this isn't church. <laughs> this is a, this is a, a American Legion. This is like some some sort of bar on uh, on a Sunday morning, and uh, and it was church. And uh, um, a few uh, a year later, my family would start coming to True North in 2008, and. Uh, 
my, my, my mission, I was 15 years old, I had a moped, and uh, so I went right down the road and, uh, to Cleveland Middle School, and my, my, my goal was always uh, last one in, first one out, right? I would sit right in that back corner uh, at, at Cleveland Middle School, my arms crossed uh, during worship and the presence of God there, and I would just be, no, I don't want any part in this. And uh, our, our church was kind of doing an in, informal kind of, we were going to a church conference, and I had to go to this church conference because the year prior, I threw a house party. And my parents are like, you're not staying at home. You're coming to this church conference with us. And so uh, it was one of those house parties that was like within five seconds of my parents walking into the house. They were like, do you have a party? I was like, no. And then my dad comes up to me like in 10 minutes with a handful of cigarette butts and being like, what's this? And it was like 20 different brands. And I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess they had Lucy's or something. I don't know. And uh, so they figured it out pretty quick. And so I had to go to... Uh, this conference go away, and uh, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life, and my life has forever been changed. I love, uh, I love what. I, I want to encourage you before we get into the word. Maybe you're a parent in here, or a grandparent in here, and you have a middle school, or a high schooler, or a college age kid, and they are wayward right now. They're not in the house of God. Can I encourage you not to give up faith? Can I encourage you to continue to believe that God is going to get a hold of their life? I love what, what C.S. Lewis said, he, 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 what he called the Holy Spirit. He, he called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. And as he was running from God, that he was running from uh, being a Christian, he said that the hound of heaven was after him. And can I just pray um, and encourage you to not give up faith for, your, for the next generation, for your uh, grandchildren, for your kids, that right now it may not seem like they get it, but in Jesus' name, they're gonna understand the gospel. They're gonna be planted in church. They're gonna love Jesus. And, and not to give up faith there. So I'm telling you, uh, maybe, maybe you know, you bring your kids or you bring your grandkids to church and you're kind of peeking over at them during worship and seeing, and you're like, they're not getting this. Uh, one day they will, in Jesus' name. All right, let me pray, then we'll get into the word. Father, we're so thankful to open your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word, which is alive and active. God, I pray that we would leave change and transform by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that we would leave, God, knowing the promises of God over our lives, that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right, we're gonna look at 1 Timothy today. We're just gonna do 17 verses. Easy? It's a lot, but we're gonna get through it. Uh, First Timothy, we, you, you have the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the next generation leader, Timothy, and Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, his guy, and he's encouraging him uh, to, to, to continue to hold fast to the faith. And so the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing this. He, he, he's out of jail. He writes 1 Timothy. He goes back into jail. He writes 2 Timothy. And then he will not get out of jail. He will be executed for his faith. He will be a martyr for the faith. And so he, here's, here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the next generation leader. And I just want to look at the, the first things first. The first things that the Apostle Paul is going to say to Timothy. Here, sound good? All right, First Timothy, verse uh, chapter one, verse one. 
says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. You'll notice that in Paul's letters, um, when he's writing to churches, he, he'll say grace and peace. But, but Spurgeon, he points out that when he's writing to, to leaders and he writes to Timothy, he adds in there mercy. That mercy would be on his life as a leader. It says, my, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul starts most of his letters with this idea of identity. It's one of the, the number one things that we as a youth ministry are continually to teach, to encourage, to equip who the next generation is in Christ. Identity, that they would know who they are. A few years ago, probably five, six years ago, Jaquay, who was just up here, he was leading a, um, a high school male's crew. You can imagine what this crew is like and just doing, serving faithfully and loving God. And they're uh, around a kitchen table and Jaquay is teaching this idea of identity, that you're not, um, you're not what social media says, you're not what your teacher says, you're not what your friends say, you're, you're not what uh, you know, a month of the year says, like you are who you are in Christ, that God is the creator God and because he's creator God, he gets to decide what created is. And so Jay's teaching these high school boys about the importance of having your identity in Christ, and so they're sitting around a kitchen table. I'm going to change the name here, but uh, he goes, okay, let's do this. Let's go around the table, and let's say who we are in Christ, and so Jay looks over, first person, and dead serious. He's not joking. He goes, hi, I'm Stephen, circumcised on the third day. Everyone stops like, wait, whoa, hold on now. Is that what we're doing? It's a, a room full of high school boys. And so there can be a lot of confusion about knowing where your identity is in Christ. And, and, and so here's what we need to do. And here's what we need to continue to preach and encourage to tell the next generation who they are that they're loved, that they're chosen, that they're set apart, that men, they are fully loved and fully known, that God has a plan and a purpose for them, that God has set them apart. They need to know that their identity is in Christ. And I continue to preach this and encourage this to our youth ministry. And one of the things I think is so important, is not just that, like that the world will tell them. The world's gonna tell them, hey, you're loved. Hey, you know, you're special. You go to the self-help book in Barnes & Noble, you'll find something like that. What makes us distinct and unique, it's who. It's who loves them. It's who set them apart. It's who has a plan and a purpose for them. It's to know that their identity is in Christ. It's so important to continually tie that back into the next generation because the world is going to scream about who they are. The world is going to try to define them, try to say, hey, this is who you are. You're by your social media likes. You're by your friend group. You're by what, you, what your boss tells you. And it's so important that us as a church says, hey, this is who you are in Jesus. It's a constant reminder. My daughter just finished um, kindergarten. And uh, 
you know, early on, I, you know, continually throughout the entire year, I was praying for an encourager, and I'm like, Isla, this is who you are. This is who you are in Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. God is for you and not against you. You know, you are a daughter of the king, and I would just continue, and every morning before she goes to school, I'll lay hands on her, and I'll pray over her, and I believe, hey, that you can walk with boldness and with confidence, and so she comes home, you know, like the first or second week of school with her with her paper, and it's one of those fill-in papers, you know, we're like, hi, my name is Isla, and I am. And I said, this is the moment. I looked at the paper, and I'm like, this is where she get it. She's been listening. She's heard what I said. So she wrote, hi, my name is Isla, and I am shy. I said, come on, Isla, I've been teaching you, I've been training you, I've been equipping you, I've been telling you about your identity in Christ, but can I encourage you, like, I forget my identity in Christ. I drift into works. I drift into going, hey, I am what I do. How much more do we need to continually encourage the next generation to say, hey, this is a constant daily thing where we're going back and we're saying, this is who you are in Jesus. Martin Luther, he says, I need to be reminded of the gospel daily because I forget the gospel daily. I need to be reminded of the gospel daily because I forget the gospel daily. When the generation, that this generation needs to know their identity in Christ, if they don't, they're gonna live with insecurity, they're gonna live with fear, and they're not gonna know their purpose and their calling to make much of God, to glorify him and to be found in his house. The next generation needs to know their identity in Christ. Verse three, it says, as I urged you, when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus, and this isn't just like, um, you know, a small church. This is 3,000 people saved. This is Holy Spirit anointed. This is church that is thriving and growing, yet a church with problems, a church with, with, with heresy and false teaching and, and, and early form heresies in the local church and Gnosticism. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and encouraging him in the way that he leads the, leads the church. Can I tell you, the Bible values the church. The church is God's redemptive plan for humanity. I know, it's surprising. Messed up, fall short, missed the mark, but God is using us in his redemptive plan for humanity. This is his body, his bride, what he's coming back for. Like the Bible values the church. I love the church. I believe that the next generation needs to be found and planted in the church. And so there's a a movement happening right now. It's kind of a fringe movement and uh, it's one of those ideas that everyone tries to label it or define it in different ways. It, it's called deconstructing. It's, it's pretty predominant, I think, in my generation as a millennial that people are, quote, unquote, destruct, de- deconstructing. And I think it's important that you know this, that deconstructing is not good. Okay? Let me just, it elevates experience over biblical theology. Now, I want to just say this, that experience matters, that like, <laughs> Pastor Judah, he's our executive pastor. He always laughs at me because uh, he'll ask me, he's like, hey man, how's summer camp looking this year? Like, what are numbers gonna look like? And I'll also be like, you know, hopefully you know, 150. I'll be like, wait, what do we have last year? We're like, ah, oh, about 260. 
He's like, what, 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 what do you? So what, what I do, though, is I, I overpromise or I underpromise, overdeliver, right? And so he knows that now, so it doesn't really work anymore. But I think it's important, and when it comes to the church, that we don't overpromise and underdeliver. The church is not perfect, but it is the plan. The church is not the Savior, but it does point to the Savior. Now, there's something significant about the church, about young people understanding. That, like, there's a lot of studies out there, and I want to just caution you when it comes to studies. Like, don't lose your faith, okay? Because it seems like every study says that like, Christianity is going to die out in the next generation. But yet, here we are 2,000 years later, still worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning. So I would just caution you on that. But man, the, the one thing they said is this generation upcoming, then they love causes, they want to be involved. And can I tell you, there is no greater cause on planet Earth than the cause of Christ, than to be planted and found in the local church, to make much of Jesus. The question of, uh, of calling, I, I, I would get often, as the youth pastor, as a youth pastor for uh, eight and a half years, and students always come up to me and go, hey, what's my calling? What am I called to? And I, I know what they're asking. They're asking what college they should go to. They're asking what their career should be. I don't know. But here's what I would always encourage them. They're called to be found in the house. They're called to be planted. They're called to make much of Jesus. They're called to, 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 to exalt God, to glorify God, to be in community, that God has given them gifts and talents to be used within the local church. The local church is not perfect. I love that Pastor Jesse says it like, hey, he's like, hey, if I haven't offended you yet, keep coming. I've probably already offended you this morning. But I wanna encourage you that we're imperfect people serving a perfect God that this is God's plan, both it's explicit and it's implicit within scripture that God values the church, that he's coming back for the church, that the next generation, next generation needs to know their place in the local church. That's why I love our church. We're having you take over Sunday. The next generation needs to be planted in the local church and know the importance of the local church. All right, continuing, verse three. We're gonna make it through 17 verses, I promise, okay? I actually think it's 18 verses. Verse three, it says, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I believe in the name of Jesus that this next generation is gonna be a generation of faith. They're gonna believe God for big things. They're gonna believe God that he can work supernaturally. They're gonna believe God for healings. They're gonna believe for a revival. They're gonna believe for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the next generation will have faith in God. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I'll talk to, um, I'll talk to youth leaders and uh, I'll ask them, you know, hey, how, how's life going? And they'll go, yeah, that's good. I go, great, great. All right, so I'll press a little bit deeper, and I'll go, okay, how's, how's your walk with Jesus going? How's your, how's your life with Jesus going? And they'll go, like, ah, it's all right. I go, okay, so I'll press a little bit deeper, and I'll go, all right, talk to me about your spiritual disciplines. What, 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 what does that look like? And they'll go, you know, it's not great. I've been listening to some podcasts. I go, well, hold on now. Biblically, that's not a spiritual discipline. Now, Hear me when I say this, I like podcasts. Podcasts are great, books are amazing, but they don't replace the word of God. They don't replace the scriptures. What, 
God blesses as a, sub, a supplement, he will not bless as a substitute. What God blesses as a supplement, he will not bless as a substitute. Meaning, man, a podcast is great. Books are amazing. They're great supplements, but they do not substitute the word of God. They do not substitute going into the, the, the scriptures. The ancient practices that we have as Christianity, needs to, as Christians, need to continue in the next generation. They need to know the power of the word of God. That's where their faith will come from. The buzzword um, that you hear so often in this generation or that I hear so often is this phrase, burnout. And I can't help but wonder that if we're burning out because we feel like we're, we're getting substance, but we're not. It's like, it's like eating McDonald's. It tastes good, but there's no substance to it. It's like, it's like chewing someone else's gum. It has the same texture, but none of the flavor. All right, that is important to be found in the word of God. It's important to go to scripture. That's how faith is increased. That's how faith grows. That's how you know God. Spiritual disciplines is going into the word of God and going, hey, God, speak to me. I want my faith to increase. The ancient practices of Christianity need, need to continue in the next generation. You're gonna have a firm faith in Christ. Verse six says, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They wanna be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, for, un, for the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. The millennial generation and Gen Z, just like every generation prior, needs the word of God. They need to know the scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Of the heart. 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Right now, uh, at my dinner table, it's chaos, but I am committed to it. I'm committing to sitting down with my family. I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and today uh, is my twin boy's birthday. They are two years old today, and so it's incredible. And so when we, when we sit down for dinner, uh, within five seconds, my son Bodhi, he looks at me, goes, da-da, da-da, bye-bye, bye-bye. I go, no, son, sit down, okay? And so everyone's trying to get up, and I'm trying to teach them the idea of, you know, you have to ask to be excused from the dinner table, and, 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 and food is getting thrown over the head, and I'm like, you know, they're two years old, what am I supposed to do? And so one of the things that almost always happens is somebody complains about the food. But in my house, we eat what my wife makes, okay? You don't get a, a special meal catered to your taste buds. And uh, my wife loves to make sure that vegetables are on the table. She says they're good for us. 
And I know that they're good for us, and I know my kids don't like them. They, they do not like eating vegetables. This green substance, this green tree, broccoli, it's sitting on their plate. They don't want to eat, eat it because it doesn't taste good. It's not palpable for them. But guess what? They're going to eat it. They're going to eat it because it's, it's nutrition for their body and it's good for them. And you know what? The same is with the word of God. We don't throw out the word of God. We don't change the word of God. We don't proof text the word of God because it seems like the next generation doesn't find it palpable. The next generation needs the word of God in their life to sustain their soul. We're not changing the word of God because we're worried about not reaching the next generation. As to say that God has been faithful for thousands of years, but, they, oh, but this generation, whew. See the hashtags? And so what are, what are we talking about? As to say that God is not gonna continue to be faithful, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, that God is gonna work and move in the next generation. And here's a we, we it's, it's this weird prideful arrogance to approach God, to approach God's word, and to think that he won't be faithful that he won't show up in the next generation. What the next generation needs is the word of God in their life. And they need the, the full counsel of God, Genesis to Revelations. They need to know who God is from scripture. I was, um, I was talking to Pastor Jay and she was teaching growth track and a young adult, somebody who kind of just graduated high school uh, asked her, she said, you know, do you know what people say about your youth ministry? And Pastor Jay responded in, you know, a couple of different answers. And then Pastor Jay said, said this. She goes, what, what we believe about sexuality? And he said, yeah, that. And I found it astounding that that's what our youth ministry is known for. As if, as if it's to say, like, we, we've had the same biblical sexual ethic for 2,000 years. Why are we known for that? But let me tell you this, this is because this church stands on the word of God. This church preaches the full counsel of God. This church believes in the power of scripture. And so I wanna encourage you, man, with your kids, with your grandkids, they need the word of God in their life. They need the full counsel of God in, in their life. We don't just throw out the greens because this generation doesn't like the tastes. We give them the full word of God. And they need to see it in our lives. Uh, growing up, I remember we had a family room, and uh, man, my dad was always in there reading scripture. He was one of those uh, parents that we'd be watching TV, we'd be watching The Office when it was on NBC, and he'd be in the other room reading scripture, and then I would walk in in the middle of the day, and I'd see him, he'd be reading his word, he'd be on his knees praying, and I would always be cautious because if I saw him and he saw me, I was getting roped into it, okay? He was going to be like, come here, let me read you this scripture, let me pray for you, and so I, I but can I tell you that the significance that had on my life? That Christianity and following Jesus wasn't just a Sunday thing. It wasn't just, hey, let's so. And can I just encourage you, man, it's amazing that you're here. It's amazing that you bring your kids to church. For all you youth parents that show up on Wednesday night bringing your kids out, that's incredible. That's half the battle. But the other half is, is demonstrating it. It's showing them that, hey, following Jesus isn't just a Sunday thing. It's a Monday, Tuesday, it's a whole life thing. It needs to be demonstrated. 
for the next generation. First Timothy 1, verse 12. We're going to do all the way to 18 here. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display the immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In Acts, there's a silversmith you may know if you know scripture, it's in, I believe, Acts 12. Um, there's a riot in the city because he builds idols and, uh, and there's revival breaking out. And so his, his marketplace is in trouble and he's not gonna make any more money and they serve this goddess in, in Ephesus. And this is what Paul is writing to. He's writing specifically that this is the true God, immortal, invisible, eternal. This is the one true God and... Uh, the silversmith obviously is not happy about it. He causes a riot because he wants to continue to serve, you know, this goddess in Ephesus. What's interesting is what's left of that goddess in Ephesus can be found in a museum in a basement in London. It's no, it's no longer there. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, hey, this, this God, this God is eternal. This God isn't going anywhere. Verse 18 Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that you may, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. When I was in Australia, I was at a, a youth conference. Was it called Jam? I think it was called Jam. It was uh, Jesus and me. What a name for a conference. And, uh, and I was up in a, in a riser like that uh, it was probably double that size. It was, I was way up top there. And it was a youth conference, so the dynamic in worship is different. It's very passionate, very, people are praying for each other. And it was at this youth conference. And uh, as I'm worshiping, I'm up there, I'm up high, high up in the riser. I see somebody down there, and he looks up, and we, we catch eye contact, almost like immediately eye contact. And I see him, he takes off up, up the stairs. And I'm worshiping, I'm like, you know, I'm watching him run, and I'm like, is he coming to me right now? Is he, what's going on? So, so sure enough, he comes up, hits my row, you know, goes through all these people. People are in the, in the uh, he, he, he shivers through them all, and he, get, he gets to me, and he, and he grabs me, and he starts laying hands on me. He starts praying and prophesying over me. One of those God prophecy moments, uh, so much so, it, I had to kind of peek my eye open to see, like, does this guy know me? You know, he's like pretty specific things, and he prays. And he prophesies over me, and one of those words that I'll, I'll never forget, and uh, says, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one last word of encouragement, and he goes, and <laughs> this is true. <laughs> the first thing I think of after getting prayed for and prophesied over was, was I worshiping weird? 
Hands here, hands up here. What's going on? Why, why, why did why did the, why did that person just run all the way up here and and give that problem? What, what, what's that? Can can I tell you that I almost allowed insecurity to not allow me to hear what God was trying to speak to me? That insecurity, like this is how wild it is, because I didn't know who I was in Him. I didn't know my identity in Christ, and and, and even in the way that I was worshiping. I was worshiping out of a place that I thought was weird or different or, or what, why did that person come up to me? Like, just confusing. And the next generation, we can't allow insecurity to, to get in the way of their calling and what God has for them. They need to know who they are in Christ. They need to know their identity, that they are fully loved, that they are fully known, known that God has a, a plan and a purpose for them. They need to be encouraged about who they are in Christ, that there is a plan and a purpose on their life, to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that God has called them for such a time as this. They need to know who they are. They can't allow insecurity to get in the way. Because when you know where your identity is in Christ, you have this confidence and this boldness, not in, a, not in a prideful and boastful way, but in a humble and authoritative way. That's what the next generation needs. The next generation needs to know who they are in Christ. The next generation will be secure in their identity. They'll know their calling, and they'll be planted in the local church. I want to close here. I, I want to pray together as a church for the next generation to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in the next generation, that we will see revival, that maybe you came in with a preconception, the, the notion, the idea, you have that attitude, that first attitude of looking at the next generation, kind of lifting your nose up at them, thinking, oh, all is lost. We're not gonna make it. The church ain't gonna make it. The next generation doesn't know any better. I wanna pray that you have an attitude shift in this moment, that you will pray and believe that our God is not done yet, that we will see revival. We will see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that the church of God will thrive, that the gospel is gonna take off, that the church's best days are still ahead. Come on, pray with me, church. Father, we come to you right now asking that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on the church. God, that the next generation is gonna know you and love you, that they're gonna be found in the house of God. God, that they're gonna be used to bring the gospel to all the earth, God, that they're gonna be used, God, to love their neighbors, God, whether they're in school right now, God, whether they're on college campuses, wherever they may find themselves, God, Holy Spirit, that you would work and move in their life, God, that they would know who they are in you. Their identity would be firm. God, they would not let insecurity around them, insecurity in them, get in the way of the calling that you have for them to preach the gospel, to be planted in the local church, God, that you would use them in a significant and a mighty way, God. We pray in the name of Jesus that the church's best days are still ahead of her, God, that we're gonna see churches filled with young people worshiping Jesus. We're gonna see churches filled with people bringing out their friends. We're gonna see churches filled with young people worshiping, lifting up the name of Jesus, God. We pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would do what only you can do, God, that you are a generational God, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, that you have been faithful in the past, and you will be faithful in the future. Stay in that attitude of prayer.
Verse 15 says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I don't know how you found yourself in church today. Don't know what you think about Christianity, but I wanna give you the good news, the gospel. That you may have messed up and made mistakes and fallen short, we all have. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life and died for you so that you could have eternal life. It's not going out and getting your stuff all together and doing good works and then coming back in. It's coming just as you are. Baba says that even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so all you have to do is say, you know what, that's me. I've messed up, I've sinned, I've fallen short. I cannot save myself. I need someone outside of myself to save me. And that person is Jesus. You're saying he's Lord and Savior of my life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that easy. So church, come on, why don't you help me? Pray this prayer with me. And if that's you today, you want to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. I'm telling you, there is no better decision on planet Earth than saying yes to Jesus. So come on, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, here I am. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everyone who said that prayer for the first time. That's incredible. Hey, if you said that prayer for the first time, you made a decision today, we got team out in the foyer. They're gonna be waving this Bible. Make sure you go up to them. Tell them that you made that decision. That's the best decision you ever made. But come on, church, stand to your feet. Let me pray for you before you go today. Um, we have our summer camp area out in the foyer, and you can sponsor a student, get somebody signed up for summer camp this year. It's gonna be incredible. But come on, reach your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you as you go. Father, we're grateful for what you did today. Y'all, we're grateful to come in here and worship Jesus. God, to lift up the name, the name that saves, the name that heals, the name that restores. God, I pray for your people as we go into the world, God, that you would use us in a significant and supernatural way. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.